Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Martin Bouchet, the head of performance at the LOSC, a French soccer team in Ligue 1. So Martin is also the sports performance uh, consultant for various clubs. He also publishes the research papers and books and leads the research efforts at Kitman Labs. Uh, he's also the co-founder of uh, Heat Science, a company that provides online classes and podcasts. So Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, Julien, and uh, nice for the invitation. Thank you. No problem. Uh, so, Martin, what I want to talk to you about today is first we'll talk about your background, and then we'll talk about your role at uh, LOSC, uh, and then we'll cover your philosophy when it comes to uh, injury prevention, and then we'll talk about some of the best tools that you've come across to help reduce injuries. How does it sound? Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, it's definitely the, the, a, a complex topic, uh, injuries, but yeah, definitely happy to, to give you my, my views on, on that. Excellent. Great, great. So, uh, Martin, just to begin with, uh, could you tell us a, a brief overview of your background for the audience? Yes. So, I would say uh, to make it to make it short, of course, you know, I kind of started twenty years ago now uh, into this uh, both performance sports science world. Uh, been involved myself uh, as a as an athlete, but as a failed athlete, as as often. Never made mm -hmm. the elite level. I was playing handball, which is a, a big sport in in France. Yeah. Uh, a bit less in the US, it's, um, but yeah, so it's, um, it's the, maybe the, the, the fact that I couldn't really make it as, a, as an athlete, as a professional player that I really pushed on the other side and the studies. So we've mm -hmm. been through masters, PhDs, and I really, really pushed the, the, the science and the research side of the things. And this had led me to different positions around uh, being a conditioning coach for some uh, professional teams. Worked in Qatar at uh, some stage uh, at the academy in Aspire, which was, uh, of course, amazing, amazing experience with all the people yeah. I managed to to meet uh, there. So sports science role there. Then a big role that I really that was kind of the job of my life, I would say, when I was working in Paris Saint Germain as a head of mm -hmm. performance. So really yeah. bringing together the experience as a practitioner on the field, as well the the, the science, the, the research. And after six years in, in Paris, uh, starting more a consultancy side of, um, of the, 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 the approach, uh, working with, with Lille, as you said in, in the intro, but also yeah. other clubs um, and still keeping the, the, the research on the side of the, 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 the job I'm doing with, with clubs. Um, so really trying to merge always uh, the, the two, those two worlds, the, the practitioner world and using as much as we can uh, data research to, to inform practice. This is really what I've been doing for, as I said, the last 20 years. And this is where really what I, what I like. And you must be really busy, right? With all the things that you're doing and working for the club and doing consultancy. Then I think you're based in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're based also in Spain, right? Yes, that just doesn't make things easier, but 
as you said, they're busy, but I just love what I do. And I especially have a, a, a comprehensive wife as well, who just makes yeah. things, things easy. But yeah, so we are, we are the family is based in, in Spain and then just I'm just doing going back and forth between the different jobs. And and as you know, COVID has helped us as well to develop some yeah. type of remote work. So I'm trying to do a lot, of, a lot every time as I can without having to be present in the different structure I work with. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's say for Lille, I'm still there th- four, three, four days a week because there are things you, you need to be present and then balancing what needs to be done or what can be done uh, remotely. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned your role at Lulask uh, as the head of uh, performance. Can what what is your day to day looks like? You know, for Lulask, for example, what are the types yeah. of uh, mm, I, in, I guess job duties that you have to do? In in a role like 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 mine. Um, I don't have much really operational hands-on uh, job uh, or mm-hmm. task. So I'm really relying on, on my, my colleagues and all the people from the multidisciplinary team that I'm kind of in the middle of, you know, yeah. so conditioning coaches, uh, nutritionists, uh, the guy looking after the data as well. And then we have all the physio, the doc, and I'm kind of the only one really doesn't have any, any proper task on a day. That's why I don't need to be present every single day. But I'm really yeah. trying to to help everyone, to support everyone in the different jobs, whether it's about um, just bringing information. So there's a lot around the data, which is a thing that I can do remotely, but also yeah. sharing experience, giving direction into the type of work that could be done, the nutrition, uh, supporting, providing. Also, I'm also involved in the the the, the, the staff development continuous development yeah. so i'm trying to 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 help the staff as well in terms of uh, their own growth so it's pretty transversal role uh linked mm-hmm. with the guys at the academy to make sure we kind of align a bit the practices between the pros and the academy yeah so this is what i like to be really a bit in the middle uh and trying to really to support to support the players and and the staff okay well that's great it's like a great a great uh, job i guess um so Next topic I want to discuss with you is um, what is your philosophy when it comes to uh, injury reduction? I, and I didn't call it injury prevention. Mm-hmm. Some people argue that there is no injury prevention. You got to call it injury reduction. Uh, what's your philosophy when it comes to that? Yes. Oh, first of all, thanks for making this distinction because I think it's important. We're just trying to do always our best to to to, yeah. to reduce the occurrence but also to reduce uh the duration of the return to play and and so on and we can maybe also discuss a little bit about about that once a player is yeah. injured which is also a big big part of our our role um as uh yeah we mentioned the multidisciplinary team but yeah when it comes to injury yeah all strategies to try to to reduce injury incidents i would say and as i started this is probably one of or it is the most complex area of our jobs you know everyone knows more knows more or less how to improve strength how to improve speed we know more or less what is best to eat after a match and how to best yeah. to, to to recover but when it comes to injury uh it's it, it's always been complex and it keeps being being complex um you know there are those studies showing that despite uh the the, the continuous increase in resources human technology knowledge uh there's still more injuries you know uh, so maybe just in, in in a nutshell i may disagree a little bit with some of the stuff that has been said that there are more injuries in absolute, yes, there are more injuries. But if you look at the pace of the game, the game is faster. Yeah. There, there's more games. There are more demands. Yeah. So relatively, 
it might not have that much increase. You know, if you take the balance between number of injuries and the, and the occurred, but how you see that the power with the increase in demands, but for sure, they're not going down. So this is a fact. They are not going down, but they are not maybe not as increasing as we thought because of the parallel increase in demand. That, that's my point. So yeah. now what's 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 the approach? And I think we are all left to those crystal questions, whatever are our roles, uh, head coaches, uh, performance guys like us, or the guys behind behind their, their computers trying to, to do some predictions. So as I said, we, we know it's complex. But I could start by saying that at least there are some simple things that we could start with, you know. Um, yeah. And I like to say that first, uh, for sure, before talking about prevention as a whole, um, those all the, the, the typical strategies, exercises, the first injury prevention or reduction tool for sure is proper planning. And sometimes we forget that we're going straight into, let's say, the level two. I'm going to discuss about those prevention exercises and so on. But but first, planning is a key because the planning definitely dictates the stress that is put on the body and how player will responds. And then when the stress is too much, they break. You know, it's pretty it's pretty simple. Yeah. So all that is around proper planning, whether it is about having progressive increase in load, making sure you have alternance in load, that there's some phases of recovery, that there are some mm -hmm. phases of overload and so on. This is, let's say, the basic principle of proper planning. But for various reasons, this is not always done properly, given the stressful and sometimes a bit chaotic context of, of, of elite sport, you know. So yeah. often, injuries come because of inappropriate planning. So the more we can prepare, think about planning better, the, the, the better it, it, that's that's the start of our injury reduction strategy mm -hmm. and this is where comes uh often common sense you know increasing load uh you have not played a, a full match for a couple of weeks and suddenly you play three matches in a week yeah. i think common sense make that you're going to be uh at higher risk because of this sudden increase in load you know so there's the common sense and this is where as was as i was saying i always love to bring the research into that trying to mm -hmm. research trends in what happens in terms of load in relation to injuries so that's the the, the last bits uh, of research that we we published through the my job through through kitman lab you know looking yeah. at how periodizing a bit differently uh the microcycle between matches whether we give a day of rest or not to the players where when we give this gate this day of rest and how that translates to only injury occurrences during uh, the weekend, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of found out that often having a day off, a day plus two rather than day plus one is actually mm -hmm. associated with less injuries because it just allows you first to do a, a better recovery at day plus one. You also compensate for those who have not played on day plus one and then yeah. everyone can rest, you know. So that's an example where research can assist us into thinking better about the planning side of the things mm -hmm. and I, yeah go ahead sorry uh, no, and, and there's there's more that we can say you know about this, this this research and this proper planning um but as i said that's really to me the the first bit of those overall injury uh reduction strategy yeah uh, and uh, well, so for example, I work and I've talked, you know, I've talked to a bunch of like say NBA teams or NHL teams, mm -hmm. and 
In fact, I think uh, last week we I did a, a call with some uh, a friend of mine who works for the Penguins and also Marco Nunez used to work for the Lakers and you know they were telling me that it's very rare to have a player that's 100% recovered, especially when you have games you know I mean th maybe like three times a week. It's almost impossible. Um, so and you know many many times it's due to the lack of sleep, uh, the travel. Uh, so when you're talking about the proper planning, there's so many factors that comes into play, right? Mm -hmm. uh, did they get enough sleep, right? Uh, are they fully recovered? Uh, I mean, it's very complex, I can imagine, right? Yes, and that's a nice segue, I would say, to, to the, the second aspect of this prevention reduction strategy is once the planning is fixed, so there are things that we control as coaches, you know, are we yeah. going to train for half an hour or an hour? Are we adding you know, like training content? This is in our hands. And this is where I, I said we need to do our best at this level at least. But then there's a big part of the planning that we don't control. Game fixtures, mm -hmm. uh, travel, this kind of thing. So you don't control. So once you've done, let's say, the least bad you could in terms of planning, then we have to tackle the second aspect of the things is how we can support players to better cope with these calendar fixtures and demons. Mm -hmm. And this is where comes all, as you, you just mentioned, the recovery strategies. So looking at their sleep, their nutrition, so they recover better yeah. from those games or heavy trainings. And on the other side, supporting them with a lot of what we kind of call the prevention work. You know, We make sure we kind of maintain those players as healthy as we can in terms of looking at their profile, checking their flexibility, their mobility, making sure, you know, that they're, they're, they're functional. There's also yeah. some, and there's, there's, again, there's some research backing that, you know, like uh, muscles, uh, strong muscles are often better resistant to, to, to injuries. So there's the strength aspect. How do we improve strength when you only have a couple of days? This window is so short. What are the best contraction strategy. We know we talk a lot about eccentric training, for example, that is efficient and increasing muscle size, muscle strength, these kind of things. Um, again, there's, there's a lot of, of, of things that we kind of, we do our best as well uh, yeah. to, to support, to make those players move efficiently. So I mentioned the mobility, the flexibility. There's a lot of research now emerging around the importance of the pelvic, these kind of things to make sure that again, after a match, players recover their posture so that yeah. they're going to be able to repeat uh, those efforts uh, while diminishing the, the, the strain that occurs on their muscle and their joints because of those change in postures or those change in, in, in stiffness that happen throughout the game. So all this work has to be done, has to be coordinated to support players' ability to keep training and playing. Yeah, but again, that makes sense. That, that, that's level two. That's level two. First, let's fix what we can can be fixed on, on the load, as I, as I said before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know you do a lot of research, right? You do a lot of research. And I feel like when it comes to female research towards female athletes and the female team, uh, there's not a lot of, not as much research has been done on the men's side, right? Like, for example, I was talking to a, a company uh, earlier in the week that built a sensor. Uh, to help female athletes to measure core body temperature, right? Uh, and they can basically help to reduce the risk of injury because when female athletes have the menstrual, menstrual cycle, they're more prone to injuries. So I was just wondering if most of the research also, they were about men athletes, men teams, or also are you also looking at female uh, athletes, female research as well? Yeah, well, you're completely right. Uh, there's way, way 
less research done on on, on females um i think there's probably a bit of how do i explain that first is this this, this bias towards yeah. men research first of all uh there's always way more data on men and yeah. it's, data is uh, easier to access there, there, there's more material to 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 research yeah. But also, as a researcher, and that's the question we discuss often with colleagues, you know, if as a researcher you're trying to have an impact, you know that researching on male is going to impact more, more people because there's more, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger. So this is just a bias after another bias. And then mm -hmm. you have this bias because practitioners are male and so on. So this doesn't yeah. help to, to, to kind of help to, 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 to develop the, um, the, the women side of the things. But of course, there's way more things that we need to discover um and i'm kind of the culpit as well of having not participated more into this research for male for the reason i just explained you know so i'm, I'm not the right person to really give you more details on i know I, I know those stories about the, the you agree the, with the fact that yes there's just not enough out there right yes 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 definitely um yeah so uh hey so can you talk about some of the best, maybe best tools that you've come across to help reduce injuries? What are the best techniques or tools that you've come across? Yes. So again, again, tools, I think we will all agree that there's never be one tool that will just by almost magic reduce injuries. But I think yeah. in, in terms in, into the tools, we can maybe integrate uh, both the technology that we can use to monitor accumulation of neuromuscular fatigue, this kind of thing. So there's the technology side. And then if you say that uh, machine learning, um, this kind of data management is also kind of a tool. Yes, for yeah. sure. There's there's a lot we can we can discuss in this area. And that's probably the, the, the third area that I would say that is part of this overall um, injury reduction strategy, you know. So yeah. in terms of technology, we know that what really drives uh, injuries, of course, is uh, tendon and muscle uh, resistance to, to stress, to load. And when they are, when the, 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 the load exceeds the tolerance, they, they break. So anything yeah. we can implement on a regular basis to kind of assess players' recovery, readiness, uh, neuromuscular status is, of course, an indirect tool to kind of prevent injuries. Because if you, if we were all able to track you know when you were saying that those guys they know that you're not 100 100 percent recovered before playing but we know that again in a lab it's easy you know you have your yeah. baseline measure you do any any type of uh, could be jumps could be maximal sprint could be even looking at uh, electric myography activity maximal yeah. contraction before immediately after a match the day after two days after and you see how kind of the, the time course, the kinetic of recovery. And then you can say, ah, they're not recovered yet. This yeah. is ideal. But in a team sport, elite team sport complex, it's pretty difficult to ask those athletes to repeat and perform those maximal efforts that you would need to really assess their readiness. Okay. So we are constantly looking for ways to, or tools or strategies, to assess this neuromuscular fa uh, fatigue, but without testing properly. And there's a lot of uh, new stuff that is actually useful to kind of have a feel or to infer, to kind of guess how this neuromuscular system is recovered. So all those sensors that you have uh, in the foot, whether yeah. it's based on accelerometer, whether it's based on insole, 
they can give you an idea about muscle stiffness, um, kind of running economy, which is directly related to to yeah to to, to freshness, for example, freshness and fatigue. You yeah. have now more and more use about um, uh, the more and more sorry more and more tools that can measure electromyographic activity. So the electric response to a muscle and we know yeah. that for a given task a muscle that is tired is going to need more electric activity to be able to produce the same force so if we look at the ratio between a force that is produced and how the muscle has produced this for looking at those ratio there is some some definitely some um, some hopes to get into uh, finding new indices of indexes of, of fatigue but at the moment even though in theory, we have the, the 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 concept. It's difficult to implement that, and to get sure. the player player buying. You know, a lot of play, a lot of people are have good ideas, but then to to make the players willing to perform those tests are are pretty difficult. So I would say because it's so difficult to have this intervention on players and to test them, the other approach that people are taking, and this is the new fade and new fashion, is around using external data that are registered that we know that players now we track them every day with uh, billions of uh, of different sensors or we ask them a lot of things trying yeah. to use those data to create those models and i was mentioning uh, machine learning and this is a lot of of companies and i've been involved with kitman lab as well into building those, those strategies where we don't have much information about the, the actual player phys physiology because we are not mm -hmm. making that many measurements but we have ability to track daily their, their workload, whether the use of GPSs or could be uh, other, other sensors in the gym. We collect um, data on their sleep, data on their wellness, these kind of things. And yeah. the difficulty of those models is first to make sure we, connect, we collect enough data to fit the model. So there's enough information that makes sense to give to like to give to those models so that they, they can start to, to 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 work and look at those data so that's really on the practitioner side make sure you're collecting enough data for the model to work on something but mm -hmm. then once the model will actually look for trends and say okay the risk of injury is increased today because of that 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 because of the history and so on we have mm -hmm. to make sure that the outputs of those models are actually uh, understandable for a practitioner that we can make action on the back of those models you know, yeah. if the model is telling you, ah, this athlete is a higher risk, but because of, and then it gives you the list of complex um, complex balances between an acute and a chronic load, uh, a given metric on an accelerometer that you don't have an action that you can take, take that you cannot act, act upon, that yeah. makes it very, very difficult. So the tools are there, but at the moment, we are not yet at a stage where we can really say, data and artificial intelligence is going to be a no-brainer to help us to reduce injury we are working toward to it but there's yeah. still a lot of work on both sides of those models what we input into the model and how we interpret those, those outputs but that's where where we're going and that's when i'm investing a lot of time and energy as well okay yeah and and also one thing i've heard from talking to people in the industry like the nba or the national last week was uh, you know, how do you communicate the information to the coach? Exactly. Because the coach may not fully understand what that means. And if you, even if you tell the coach, hey, you know, your star player should not play this weekend, at the end of the day, it's up, it's up to the coach to say, look, I, I think, you know, he's going to play. So that's the other problem too, right? The data might show 
look, if he's going to play, it's going to be at a risk of injury. But at the end of the day, it's up to the coach to decide, right? Yes, it's up to him to decide, but it's also up to us to bring as much uh, information to yes. help those those decisions. Um, and I would say there's two levels of information. There is, okay, this is the risk is X or Y or Z, and mm -hmm. you take the decision or not. But hopefully with this information, we, we are hoping to be able to adapt training so that we can manage load. Oh. We can yes. add things or remove things so that at least then the decision is just on, on the game. But at least training-wise, that should be something way more in our, our hands as practitioner is to yeah, control training content, uh, format, durations. So you're going to help minimize the risk, the risk of yes. future injuries, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, maybe. And if I kind of finish a little bit, like to, clo to close the loop, um, what we just discussed about this uh, overall injury reduction strategy, you know, when we discuss those those three levels, um, so all the stuff around the planning, the programming, this kind of this kind of things, then the second level, uh, the prevention, all the work that is actually meant to help players to better support the load and then the third level about using tools technology and even eventually data and uh, those machine learning and advanced uh, modeling to to kind of uh, get an insight into the the, the risk um, in in my experience the the biggest challenge is to really align those three levels those three components of the overall injury risk as as often and I'm still to to really find an organization a club where those three parts are really embedded because often uh of course there are different people um responsible or behind those those different levels and to really have a collaboration between those three people having or, or at least someone that kind of oversees the, the, the those three levels is always very difficult to to actually find or or, or or put that in place in the context of elite football where you have a lot of change in staff whether it's technical whether it's on the performance side so just so many people involved that sometimes have it if have different experiences have different views and that's probably where we definitely still need to progress, make sure that everyone collaborates and that the decisions around the, around the content, the training, the, what is offered to players is actually a blend of those, those three levels. Not only the programming, not only the prevention and then the information from the, from the technology, but everything is really put together. And this is definitely where we all need to progress to work better all together. Uh, hey, last question. I always ask you, ask people, you know, talk to practitioners like yourself, what are your maybe top two or three favorite technologies and why? It could be about injury reduction, it could be to improve the sleep, the recovery, any technologies that comes to mind from your perspective? <laughs> I would say and the why? most. And why? Yes, the, the, the most versatile piece of technology is to me a force plate yeah. uh, because you can just you can use it for so many for so many different uh, goals. At, at the start, a force plate is a lot of people use them for jumps, but you mm -hmm. go further than jumping height. You know, you go impulse, um, the way people land, asymmetries from between legs. But then you can also have a lot of yeah, isometric movement. You know, you can go yeah. for uh, 
it's just endless. So as I said, that's probably the most versatile piece of equipment because you can you can test explosive, isometric, different types of strength. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's the end of your of your imagination. That's great. So uh, look, these were my questions for for today. But look, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, great insights. So uh, thank you very much for for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for for inviting me and the, the question, uh, Julia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.